Good morning, welcome to Worship from Creef Parish Church this 26th of July. Can you believe that it's almost the end of July already? Whether you're watching or listening online or over the phone, uh, joining us on Sunday morning or some other time during the week, we're glad that you're here. We're glad we all get this opportunity to come together uh, to worship God. So let's begin with a song. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation.
all of us, whoever we are, wherever we come from, we all have different experiences of God, different experiences of God at work in our lives over these past few days, this past week. So let's bring these different experiences into our prayer now as we pray together. Sovereign God, we thank you that you've made us all different. You've made us different in character and temperament, different in background and experience. And we thank you for this diversity that this gives us and for the opportunities it brings to share with one another. Help us to be open to all we might learn and offer from one another to recognise that our differences should not be a source of conflict or weakness, but a source of blessing and strength, not a cause of division, but a chance to display the underlying bond that unites us. Though we are many, you have made us one. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you meet us just as we are, with all our quirks and foibles, with everything that distinguishes us as individuals, the good and the bad, the pleasant and the ugly. You speak in the concrete circumstances of our lives, responding to our prayers, meeting our deepest needs and speaking to our innermost selves. Each one of us has our own unique experience of your love and yet we share the same faith and we work towards the same goal. Though we are many, you have made us one. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you reveal yourself in different ways, through your still, small voice, and yet equally in the hustle and the bustle of daily life, through exuberant songs of praise, but also through moments of quiet reflection, through traditional patterns of worship, yet just as much through spontaneous outpourings of your Holy Spirit, through unforgettable moments of encounter, and yet also in the ordinary, everyday experiences of life. And we know that what moves one person leaves another cold, and what speaks to some says nothing to others. But each is equally real, for each is a way of expressing faith and responding to your love. Though we are many, you have made us one. Lord, we thank you. Sovereign God, help us to see you in one another, not despite our differences, but because of them. Help us to overcome the fear of what is foreign, the suspicion of what does not conform with our own ideas. And so may we learn more of your purpose and more of your saving love, our understanding of you enriched and our fellowship deepened through the diversity you have given us to share. Though we are many, you have made us one. Lord, we thank you. And in the name of Christ, we pray as Jesus taught his followers, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. During this lockdown period that we are now slowly and thankfully emerging from, Elizabeth and I watched the film Stan and Ollie. It's based on the real-life story of Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy, Laurel and Hardy. Uh, it tells the story of when they were on their tour of the UK and Ireland a few years after the glory days of their early movies. The film shows their relationship during that tour taking a blow and the years of pent-up resentments that they'd felt one towards the other released threatening not only their working together on the rest of the tour, but also their friendship, which had spanned 107 films made together over some 34 years. Today, as we come to the end of Acts chapter 15, we are dealing with the theme of conflict. And despite all they've gone through together, we now find another double act, Paul and Barnabas, and they're in sharp disagreement over the next steps that they should be taking in order to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus and to encourage the believers in Asia Minor. You know, at some point we all experience conflict in our lives. There are times we disagree with others. Often it's not about things that are right or wrong, but rather about things that are subjective. We disagree about things that are non-essential. And when we do that, it's important how we learn to, to walk through it. The conflict between Laurel and Hardy could have ended not just their working partnership, but also their, their love and their friendship for each other. But thankfully, as the film depicts, and also in real life, they find a way through. Now, some of you might fear conflict. I wouldn't say that conflict is good or desirable, but it is normal and it is to be expected. And God, as we've been praying, made us all different, with different likes, different preferences, different priorities. And he put each of us in different homes and into different environments. And these things influence our style and our methods and our worldview. We value and we desire different things for different reasons. And we come to different conclusions about the same circumstances. Because we're not robots. We don't do things, all of us, in the same way. And conflict's to be expected because humans are involved. And as we're going to see, the Apostle Paul dealt with this difficult conflict with his close friends. And if Paul dealt with conflict, then it's safe to say that we can expect to deal with it as well. So if you've got a Bible there, let's open it where we left off last Sunday and let's read and hear our passage from Acts 15, starting at verse 36. Acts chapter 15 Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. 
they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who seeks the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder
When we come to the end of Acts chapter 15, what is going on between Paul and Barnabas is a very familiar scene. It's one we're probably all acquainted with. There's a task to be accomplished and there's a decision to be made and there are two different opinions on how to do it. It's bad enough if there's just two, but if it's a whole family or indeed a whole church with lots of different opinions, it's difficult to know the right way. Paul would he'd wanted to go back to the cities that he and Barnabas had preached in to, to see how the disciples in these cities were doing and to encourage them. Barnabas, well, he seemed to be quite happy to do that as well, but he wanted to take Mark with them. And Mark, you'll remember from a, a previous uh, Sunday services, Mark had gone with Paul and with Barnabas on their first missionary journey, but he decided to, to leave them at one point and return to Jerusalem early in that trip. We read that in Acts 13, verse 13. And now Barnabas wants to rejoin with Mark. He wants to take Mark on this next leg of the journey with them. Uh, but Paul didn't think that was a good idea because Mark had left them before any of the, the, the cities they'd visited had begun to persecute them. Mark wasn't there when the Jews in Antioch of Pisidia chased them through the cities of Asia Minor, persecuting them. Mark wasn't in Lystra when Paul, you'll remember, was stoned and, and dragged out of the city and left for dead. Mark wasn't there. And Paul must have been thinking, well, if Mark bailed on them before the going got hard, what will happen this time when the persecutions begin? Because Paul was expecting these persecutions. And so Paul didn't want to take Mark with them. As we read that story, we might ask, so who was right? Was it Paul or was it Barnabas? Well, actually, I think they're both right. Neither of them is wrong. The contrasting opinions of Paul and Barnabas are both valid, but they're contradictory. And so a sharp disagreement arose between the two men, and the only solution they found is the one that we don't feel good about. For they separate and they go off in different directions. Barnabas takes Mark and they go to Cyprus, and Paul takes Silas and they go on through Syria and Cilicia. Now, was it such a big issue? Certainly the church we've known from our previous studies had to deal with big conflicting issues. We saw that last week with the Council of Jerusalem that had to be called and had to resolve that salvation is found in God's grace. The gospel is God's grace alone, God's grace plus nothing. And that was certainly an issue that was worth fighting for. It was that metaphorical hill that was worth dying on because it meant preserving um, the gospel or seeing the deterioration of the gospel. But this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas over whether or not to take Mark, as in most conflicts, was certainly not a hill that was worth dying on because it was a non-essential issue. For Paul, visiting the churches in order to strengthen them was a non-negotiable. But who to take wasn't. And so, actually, in the providence of God, not one, but two teams were sent out. And much more was actually accomplished in that same period of time. 
It begs the question, how do you and I deal with conflict in a way that pleases God? How I wish that there was one specific formula that would handle every conflict situation, but because we and our circumstances are different, there is no such formula. But the Bible, Scripture, does give us commands and principles that are there to, to help us and to guide us as we encounter conflict with others. And since our human default is a default to sin and to be led by our pride, I thought firstly we'd look at what not to do. And surely the first thing that we should not do is judge others. The first rule of pride is to always see ourselves as right and so we judge everything and anyone else using ourselves as the standard. It's as if we say, if you agree with me, you're right, and if you disagree with me, you're wrong. But as soon as we start judging others, it sets the stage for more conflict and God just will not be honoured until we repent of our pride and our arrogance. We are, after all, not God. And then sin leads to sin. And pride is something that loves to be known. And so when you are in a conflict with another person and the other person won't acknowledge that you are right, then our pride wants to find someone who will. And so we're tempted to take, talk about what we know. We're tempted to gossip the situation. We're tempted to tell others that we're right and all the reasons why and why the other person is wrong and all the reasons why they're wrong. And we present it to others in a way that makes our case, and our case alone. And that kind of gossip, that kind of slander is simply sinful and divisive. And then there are some folks who just won't take no for an answer. And so they try to manipulate people and they try to manipulate situations in order to get their own way. And if they don't, they respond by just lashing out with anger and violence and threats or they simply present a cold shoulder trying to punish those who disagree with them or by doing their own thing. It's like a child saying, I'm taking my toys and playing somewhere else. You can't play. Or just ignoring authority altogether. Judging others can lead some to demand their own way. And if they don't get it, it leads to them gathering forces through gossip and through slander to mount an attack on the person they see as their opposition. And then, well, maybe some of us don't gossip and don't slander or we don't have the energy to demand our own way. Instead, we are maybe the people who complain. If we can't have it our way, and if we can't have things done the way we want them done, we're going to make everyone else share in our misery. These are the people that you just want to say, goodness me, get over it. Because it's so obvious that they haven't got over it. We need to remember that even though complaining seems small in comparison to gossip and slander and divisiveness, that the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years until they were all dead. And that was because of their complaining. Even complaining is serious to God. And all of these responses come from pride and from the desire to elevate ourselves 
our ideas, our qualifications, our gifts, our solutions, ultimately us. When pride is ruling, we've taken an issue and we've elevated ourselves above it. And it becomes personal because it's not just a decision that needs to be made, it's my decision that needs to be accepted. And at this point, if it was me, I'm not finding my identity in Christ. I need you to validate me and this one idea, this one decision is going to make it or break it all. And when you think about it, it's ridiculous and yet it's real. We must acknowledge that pride is real and active in our lives and we must be willing to kill it or it will simply destroy us and our relationships and ultimately for those of us who claim to follow Jesus, if left alone on a large scale, it can even destroy a church and it has many, many times. So these are the things that we're not to do, so what should we do? Well, obviously we should try to work it out. We're not always right. The opposite of pride is humility. And when we put off pride and we put on humility, we'll be able to have an objective conversation about these subjective issues that we disagree on. And still, at the end of the day, honour God. Paul and Barnabas didn't just have a 10-minute fight and then get mad and storm off away from one another. The Greek that's used in the passage indicates that this was a lengthy, ongoing conversation that eventually ended in that sharp dispute. We need to respect other people's opinions, others' gifting, others' desires, and genuinely try to hear others with the goal of resolving our conflict not the goal of being right. As people of God, we must attempt to find godly solutions to our problems. Let it go and move on. We're not going to see eye to eye with everyone, just like Paul and Barnabas at that time didn't see eye to eye with each other. And sometimes this will mean simply stepping back and laying down our own opinion and accepting the opinion of someone else. To realise that you or I could easily be wrong and someone else could be right. Or you or I could be right, but their solution would work just as well as ours. Now, like Paul and Barnabas, occasionally this could also mean that we need to physically move on. Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, was going to care for the infant churches that were formed during his first trip. And he didn't want anything or anyone like Mark to jeopardise that mission. So finally, Paul and Barnabas agree to disagree. But you know, later we discover that Paul did not in fact burn all these bridges. And so these relationships remained intact. And though Paul and Barnabas didn't work together any time in the future as far as we're aware, Paul's refusal to take Mark wasn't a personal issue. It was a mission issue. That didn't mean that he didn't love and respect Mark. It didn't mean that there weren't other ways that Mark was useful in ministry. It just meant that for this task at that time, Mark was not ready. Because later, we read in Colossians chapter 4 where Paul speaks very favourably of Mark. 
And later still, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul asks for Mark to be sent to him in prison because Mark is useful to him in his ministry. How encouraging it was to, to see that Barnabas was there to encourage Mark at that time that there was the disagreement. But it's also encouraging to see that Mark had progressed and grown in maturity and in gifting, that later on he was in fact useful to Paul in their shared ministry. And Mark also went on to partner with Peter. And he wrote the Gospel of Mark based on Peter's account of Jesus' life and their experience with him. So Mark ended up with an apostolic endorsement not only from Paul, but also from Peter. What do we learn? Simply that you and I need to be able to let it go and to move on and to trust God with the outcome. We need to be willing to be wronged. In his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 6, Paul addresses that church about their conflicts and their disputes that have elevated to the point of them even bringing lawsuits against one another. Can you imagine? Imagine members of our church, Christians who claim that Christ is their Lord and Saviour, disputing and conflicting to the point of leaving the law of God and seeking the courts of the land because they have a better chance of getting what they want. Paul says, no! You have now elevated a non-essential issue to the point of jeopardising the most essential issue and that is the gospel. Because if you claim it and this is how you display it, you have distorted it. We must be willing to be wronged and to experience loss. Because after all, isn't that what Jesus did, our Saviour? Wasn't it Jesus who was unjustly arrested, beaten, tortured and then killed? And do you and I think that we are above our Master? Of course we're not. We need to unite around matters of first importance. And we need to allow liberty of opinion on other matters. We may disagree on a number of non-essential issues, but we have one predominant issue, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. The proclamation and the demonstration of the gospel is the matter of first importance. That is the hill worth dying on. And so in our conflicts and in our disagreements, we must remember that we are objects of mercy. We are recipients of God's amazing grace and that we belong to another. Regardless of all the differences between us that lead to conflict in our relationships from time to time, we stand together on common ground in the most basic way for we are all sinners in need of a saviour. James, the, the brother of Jesus, in his letter in chapter 4, tells us that the reason there are fights and quarrels among us is because of our desires and passions that war within us. We want what we don't get, and so we fight for it. We still need a saviour. 
You see, biblical conflict resolution requires us to lay down our lives, to lay down our opinions, to lay down our preferences, to even lay down our solutions. Non-essential conflicts are non-essential. More often than not, when we conflict, we're fighting for our pride instead of what's best for the common good. It's then that we most clearly need the power of God and the help of the Holy Spirit so that we can humble ourselves and ask forgiveness, so that we can repent, so that we can seek to resolve differences in ways that honour God. So, if conflict is just a way of life for you, you need to repent. And if you're not experiencing conflict, then pray and prepare because conflict can come so suddenly and unexpectedly. I'll finish with words of Paul. Colossians 3 verse 12 to 17. Paul writes, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive.
You know, as Christians, we have no immunity from the struggles and the suffering of a broken world. But this is also true, that God is with us no matter what we're facing. The God we worship is not an absentee landlord or a disinterested bystander. Indeed, the whole Christian faith is built on the truth that the very opposite is true, that God is with us, Emmanuel. By prayer and by practice, the church is called to give expression to this key aspect of our belief system. And when the church prays for the world and when the church cares for the world, the church makes clear that God is with us in the world. That has been true all through this pandemic and it remains true as we begin to plot this new course forward, considering what building better might look like. May it be that we remain on our knees throughout this time before God, the better to know him and to trust him. Let us pray. Most high God, you are far above us and beyond our knowing. And yet in Jesus, you came among us and you are here. It's with glad and grateful hearts that we praise you. Ever faithful God, when waves threaten to overwhelm us, when fire is burning all around us, still you are with us. There is no point at which you run for cover or leave us to manage on our own. With glad and grateful hearts, we praise you. Guiding God, you are a lamp to our feet, a light for our path. In uncertain times with so much that is unknown and unknowable, go before us, we pray, that being attentive to your voice, we might sense your leading. With glad and grateful hearts, we praise you. Eternal God, there's much that is transient in our experience. We ourselves flourish as flowers and then are gone. But you, Lord, are without beginning or end. You are the same yesterday, today and forever. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you and to lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven which shall not be subject to decay or destruction. With glad and grateful hearts, we praise you. Loving God, in all things we marvel at your goodness and long only to see you more clearly and to know you more nearly. Put salt on our lips then, that we might thirst for you more. With glad and grateful hearts, we praise you and we offer our prayers in Christ's name. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for joining us this week for our worship. Uh, we are continuing to make plans and to prepare uh, how we might come together in small numbers uh, physically in, in the weeks ahead. But for now, we continue with these services. So do join us next Sunday, same time, 11 o'clock, new service will be available. Until then, may the blessing of God, the ever-present Father, the ever-living Son, 
the ever-active Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you now and always. Amen.